You and your dog are a team. Fuel is best in the field and in life with Purina Pro Plan Sport. Made for hardworking dogs of all ages, every sport formula starts with real meat as the number one ingredient and is specifically formulated to support strength and stamina. Try it today and see why ProPlan is the official dog food of Ducks Unlimited. Learn more at ProPlanSport.com. Welcome to the Ducks Unlimited podcast, the only podcast about all things waterfowl. From hunting insights to science-based discussions about ducks, geese, and issues affecting waterfowl and wetlands conservation in North America, we bring the resource to you. The DU Podcast with your host, Dr. Mike Brazier. We are excited today to bring you another update from Prairie Canada. We're here in late summer, right on the cusp of the waterfowl hunting season. Actually, by the time this airs, it will be waterfowl hunting season in Canada. So we wanted to connect with another one of our key partners and and a person who has years and years of experience up there in, in the prairie provinces of Canada and really all across Canada. And he's a wealth of information for this particular topic, but we thought it would be timely to give people yet another update of, of kind of the way things unfolded towards the end of the breeding season and the way they're kind of shaping up here as we go into fall. The person that we're going to have as our guest today is Pat Kehoe, Director of International Partnerships for Ducks Unlimited Canada. Pat, thanks for joining us and welcome to the Ducks Unlimited podcast. Well, thanks for having me here. I am sure there are some of our listeners that will will know you and will know your name. And and with your name comes a reputation as someone who has hunted more than, than pretty much anyone else I know, uh, just to kind of give folks an idea of, of your background that you come with a great deal of expertise. You know, one of the things that occurred to me as I was thinking about this conversation is what I wanted to ask you. One of the leadoff questions I want to ask you is, um, have you have you killed, harvested every species of waterfowl in North America? You will have come close if if you will not have achieved that. Everything that, that is legal, spectacled eiders were, were protected. I did get stellar eiders the year that they were, just before they were listed in 1990, and I'm missing a Mexican duck. But other than that, I've got them all. Well, okay. So the Mexican duck is one of the others I was well, I was not sure about. I figured you would have um, you would have put yourself in a situation to, to kill one of those, but uh, that's still on your list, I imagine. It is, yeah. Yeah, and now it's it's recognized as a unique species again by um, by the taxonomic authorities. So you got that going for you as well. Keeps coming and going. I've been going down to Arizona the last couple of winters quail hunting and, and uh, sort of trying for Mexican ducks on the side. I shot a hybrid two years ago, but I'm still missing the the uh, the pure uh, pure Mexican. Well, you might want to uh, listen to our forthcoming episode with uh, Dr. Phil Oretsky. He might you might be convinced after that episode that what you in fact you know, what you killed was in fact a uh, a pure Mexican duck. Was it, do you remember if, if it was an adult or a juvenile? It was it was an adult hen. I, I know there's quite a gradient there in the Mexicans, so it's a, it's an interesting bird for sure. And it's uh, elusive, and uh, anyway, uh, it's one that I'm I'm still going to pursue. Uh, Hopefully, after COVID clears, I'll get to go back down to, to Arizona and, uh, and try again. 
Very good. Well, my point in asking that that question was, again, just to kind of establish your credibility among our our listeners here that you know what you're talking about when it comes to waterfowl harvest and waterfowl hunting. And uh, so with that kind of set aside, before we get into a quick uh, update on habitat conditions, I do want to do want to give you a, a couple of minutes to tell folks what it is that you do for Ducks Unlimited Canada in your position. Okay, my, my role is largely working with the, the governments in the in the U.S., the state and federal governments. Uh, individual states give contributions to Ducks Unlimited Canada for work on the breeding grounds, and we get uh, money through the NACA program, the, the federal program, uh, about $20 million a year to do habitat work in Canada. That money needs to be matched by uh, Canadian and U.S. sources, so the $20 million turns into 40 by the time it hits the ground here. So uh, fairly important uh, f- funding sources for Ducks Unlimited Canada. Again, coming from the recognition that birds know no boundaries and uh, Canada is home to uh, many of the breeding, uh, breeding species of ducks and, and geese in North America. Pat, I know from interacting with you that that job requires you to travel uh, quite a bit, uh, travel internationally even. And so with COVID-19 changing all of our abilities to travel this year, I'm certain that your schedule has has looked quite a bit different this year and will look quite a bit different going into this fall as well. Have you have you yet adjusted to this new uh, this new lack of travel for you? Well, it's been interesting. I mean, fortunately, we've got pretty good relationships with the folks we deal with, but uh, traveling face-to-face is the way I like to do business, and it's certainly not uh, not been possible since uh, since March, and it doesn't look like we're going to be doing much travel anytime this this year. So hopefully 2021 will turn around and we get back on the road and, and meet with people and talk about our conservation work in Canada. And as I say, that, that uh, firsthand face-to-face contact, I believe, is pretty important to, to building the relationships that our, our, our funding base is built on. Yeah, I agree with you in that, in that regard. And and I look forward to to meeting you or seeing you. I shouldn't say meet you. I've, I've met you many times, but I look forward to meeting you in Memphis uh, again here sometime in the future. We'll get caught up on, on all the things that have happened. But uh, with that, with that kind of backdrop and just a little update from how things are going there for you, uh, let's move into what we want to talk about today, which is a late summer update on habitat conditions across the prairies. What kind of stimulated this this podcast idea was an email that I saw from you a couple of weeks ago where you described a, a, a some travels that you recently had across uh, across the prairie provinces. And you know this is the time of year when normally we would have uh, some idea of a fall flight index. Uh, we would probably have the breeding population survey report out by now, uh, but we don't have that obviously this year. And so we're we're left with very little data with which to inform an, an estimate or an understanding of what we might expect with regard to a fall flight. But you had some pretty informative observations that I saw in that email. So I wanted to give you an opportunity to describe uh, to describe that, that trip across the prairies and what you saw across the different regions uh, in terms of late season habitat conditions and in what you might have been seeing on the wetlands in terms of uh, duck numbers or any kind of broods that may still be out there. Sure. I, I live in Winnipeg, Manitoba, so on the very eastern edge of the Canadian Prairie Pothole region. And I had the opportunity here in the last few weeks to make uh, two trips, one uh, across the southern prairie on the Transcanda Highway through Regina over to Brooks, Alberta. And the second trip took the, the northern route up to up to Edmonton and did a little bit of touring of some of the areas that I'm familiar with uh, from, from hunting in the past. And uh, 
got a got a pretty look, good look at the at the prairies overall. Southern prairies from from Winnipeg uh, right across are, I would say, very dry. Uh, not as dry as I've ever seen them, but but certainly uh, certainly in the lower twenty five percent of what what you'd expect in terms of uh, it, uh, basins uh, being filled. The the northern route is a little bit better. Uh, there's a couple of good pockets. One that stretches from about uh, Joe Lake, Manitoba, over a uh, little west of Yorkton. So you know, band that's probably two hundred miles uh, wide by by a hundred miles deep. Not a huge area in terms of the vastness of the Canadian prairies, but that, that area is very wet. And again, when you get to the Alberta border, Lloydminster, which is right on the, the uh, Alberta-Saskatchewan border, all the way across the province of Alberta to, to, uh, to Edmonton, it's, it's very wet as well. In fact, uh, uh, quite a bit of crop damage due to uh, late, uh, late spring rains. Uh, uh, and uh, that's a bit of a problem for the agricultural producers, but the ducks are in that area pretty thick. Uh, right now, all species, and uh, it looks good. They got a late start over there, but uh, but they were able to make up for it. So overall, I'd say the production on Prairie Canada is going to be fairly spotty, but there are a few hot spots where there are are good wetland conditions and uh, and lots of birds. Pat, you mentioned that you took a detour down through an area known as Allen Hills. It's southeast, kind of uh, east southeast of Saskatoon. And it is an area of very high wetland density. And just recap for us what your observation was there. I found that particularly interesting, having some experience, uh, having worked as well as hunted in that area. Yeah, Allen Hills is is uh, between Saskatoon and Regina. It's it's one of the highest density breeding areas uh, for waterfowl in the Canadian prairies on average. It's been very wet the last uh, last fifteen to twenty years. Uh, flooded the potholes up beyond the tree lines. Lots of dead trees standing. The water now has receded uh, inside that former tree line, so the wetlands are sort of back to normal uh, water levels. But because those wetlands have been wet for so long, I've noticed a real decline in bird use. Uh, Wetlands tend to get stagnant if they've been flooded for a long time. They need to dry out completely from time to time to allow that uh, recharge of nutrients and, and uh, recharge of uh, uh, vegetation and invertebrates that the birds can can really rely on. So that's an area where where I'd say it's a critical area for waterfowl production, but it's been, been wet for so long that even though there's water there this year, the birds aren't using it to the extent that you would expect, uh, largely due to those, those long-term flooded conditions. So that's an area where we welcome a little more drought, I would say, for the short term to, to get the productivity back to where it should be for the long term. Yeah, hearing that, hearing the idea that we need more drought in that area is probably uh, scary to to most waterfowl hunters because we've talked earlier this year and even even today about how conditions are, are kind of dry in the southern prairies. But what we need is it to be drier, you know, kind of droughty in the Allen Hills region, but then need, need it to recover in the southern part of the province. It's sort of the reverse of kind of what we have uh, this year, you might say. So if we could dial that up, we would be in good shape uh, kind of going forward. Yeah, I mean, the, the prairies rely on the wet-dry cycle. I mean, if you look at the data over time, I mean, I've been 
around uh, around the prairies for over 30 years. I've seen several dry cycles and, and, and some very wet years. Uh, longer term, we know that when the prairies dry out, it's not good for continental population, but when that water returns, it can really kick. And uh, fortunately, the, the prairie pothole region of North America is huge. So I've talked about a couple of wet areas in Canada. We know the, the southern North Dakota and South Dakota are very wet this year. So there's going to be definitely production coming out of the prairie pothole region overall it's not usual that the whole area would become totally dry or totally wet that's why du uh focuses its conservation uh, actions right across the prairie pothole region from grand prairie alberta right down into south dakota we've got projects that are active so when those water conditions hit those parts of the prairies birds can have the the, the maximal response so we, we recognize the importance of the whole region we work across it we know water is going to come and go from various parts of the regions and in those golden years the whole area is wet and produce real well and in those tough years that can all be dry but but luckily most years are somewhere in between and, and we have decent decent flights out of out of parts of our region pat let's go back to your trip across the prairies uh and and i guess here in full disclosure we are recording this particular episode on on august 24th it's going to air maybe a week or so from uh, from the date that we're recording it but uh, and then your trip your trip across the prairie probably happened a couple of weeks ago, so you're looking at that being um, early to mid-August. Uh, talk about what you might have seen in regard to broods that were still on the wetland, and then also uh, talk about what it is you've seen since then up to now in terms of maybe some birds moving into the area and perhaps any birds that might or perhaps teal might already be uh, getting out of the prairies. Yeah, um, it's been pretty warm here. So, so wetlands have continued to dry up through the through the late part of the summer. But the broods that I saw were in in, in very good condition, good good numbers. Uh, those birds that I saw uh, two three weeks ago now would be on the wing by now. So very mobile, the, the drying wetlands uh, they can they can adapt to and and move to to where there is water because it's the the shallower seasonal basins that will dry out first. Um, we started to see some bird movements. I was sitting on the deck yesterday, and those numbers of sandhill cranes started to fly in there, some of our early migrants. And as those cranes come in, we start to lose blue-winged teal. So I expect in the next couple of weeks, we're looking at colder weather next week. It's been running 80, 80 degrees here in Winnipeg the last couple of weeks, but it's dropping down into the 60s. That'll be enough to give those those early teal a, a bump and head them down your way where teal seasons will be opening and not not too uh, too long. So things are starting to move as they should. Uh, big Canada geese are starting to, to uh, uh, I live on the Red River here. They're gathering in, in fairly decent numbers for this time of year already. Uh, Good production on Canada geese locally, um, so good good flights of birds starting to use the uh, the uh, agricultural fields that are being harvested right now. Um, so, I'd say activity in terms of what the birds are doing is is right on track. Uh, harvest is looking to be early this year, so uh, that's a good thing uh, in terms of uh, providing that agricultural uh, food for for the migrating waterfowl that pass through the prairies. Uh, some years, like last year, harvest is late. The birds don't really uh, gather in, in uh, agricultural fields to the extent that they can when, when, the, when it's not harvested. So they, they rely on those harvested fields to fuel up and head south. This year looks pretty good for... You and your dog are a team. Fuel is best in the field and in life with Purina Pro Plan Sport. 
Made for hardworking dogs of all ages, every sport formula starts with real meat as the number one ingredient and is specifically formulated to support strength and stamina. Try it today and see why ProPlan is the official dog food of Ducks Unlimited. Learn more at ProPlanSport.com. Pat, let's jump over to Eastern Canada. Do you have any insights? I don't know if you've done any traveling over there at all this year. Probably not much would be my guess. But do you have any insights based on people you may have talked with about how things unfolded uh, in Eastern Canada? I know it's not as variable in terms of habitat conditions as the prairies, but any insights from the eastern part of the country? Yeah, I, unfortunately, I haven't been over there myself, but I just spent a lot of time in my past career in in, uh, in the maritime provinces, so I have good contacts back back there. And certainly, it looks like a, a decent year in, in Atlantic Canada uh, through the east, eastern Quebec for uh, black duck production. Uh, as you get into uh, western Quebec and Ontario, they had uh, quite warm and dry uh spring um so the southern production of mallards could be a little lighter than uh, than normal but uh, a lot of those eastern bo- birds do come out of the boreal forest when you're talking about ringneck ducks green wing teal and, and and other species so i think uh, i think overall it should be an average year coming out of out of eastern canada would you characterize it as, you know, and, and this is very difficult for someone with your kind of um, biological background, but would you, is it fair to say you might expect this to be a, an average fall flight year coming out of the mid-continent, out of the prairies and boreal forest of Western Canada as well? Is that what you would tell people if they if they forced you to give them an answer? Yeah, average is a, is a tough term. I'd say, I'd say yes, but you got to remember we've been running above average years for the last uh, last 10 to 15 years so i'd say it's going to be an average year which will be lower than, than a lot of a lot of people's expectations because average is lower than what uh, what we've been experiencing recently that's a good point yeah that is a good good reminder that we've we've had a stretch of really good years um with some ex- exceptions here the last uh, last few and it's and again it's spotty here and there that's what makes this projecting what people are going to experience in the fall um ever so difficult well it's really tough because as you point out i mean it depends where how the water falls in the south there's lots of water in a particular area your hunting area which may have been the only wet spot in in the region you know for five years running is now one of many wet spots so you don't experience the same number of birds even though bird production can be fairly high so all that factors into it makes makes predicting how an individual's hunt is going to play out uh, but I, I would say we're, we're you know, there's definitely duck production happening if you have good uh, wintering conditions, uh, you're going to experience good hunting in, in your area. Now, that, that has proven not to be universal across the board uh, in the last few years. Certain regions have better hunting than others, and I think that that's likely to continue. Uh, the other thing, though, I, I think is important to point out is we talk about those uh, those lower than normal populations, nor- normal being what we've experienced in the last few years, back to a normal average. Um you know that that drought is necessary, as we talked about earlier, and, and it's critical to to uh, recharge those wetlands up here and and have high production in the wet years. So it's not a bad thing. It's just something that hunters need to need to be aware of and 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 uh, adapt to and and uh, recognize that those tough times are going to bring better times in in the future. And then the other point is. Our expectations for production and fall flight numbers may vary by species. This year is probably a great example of that, where I think there is reasonable 
to say that there that people are expecting a fairly large number of blue wing teal uh, to be migrating south. Uh, they expect really good production out, out of the Dakotas. Blue wing teal doing what they do in settling in the first some of the first available habitat they encounter as they go back north are likely to have experienced really good production, which would mean a lot of young blue wing teal winging their way south, which is is good in terms of numbers as well as good in terms of hunting success. And we're going to figure that answer answer out or have some insights to that really quick here as we get into uh, into September. So uh, that's just another another example there of how things vary by, by species. Good point. I mean, I, I think your your mallard production, pintail production, is going to be a little lower than 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 what we've seen in recent years. Diving ducks, cans, redheads, and and, and scop should be fairly stable. And you know, your green and teal widgeon that rely more on the in the boreal should be about where they where they normally are. So I, I think that, that's an important point. You know, you can you can also change your uh, success by adapting to what the predicted population flights of individual species are. If you're a mallard hunter and it's poor year, well, maybe you do want to think about that, taking more advantage of teal and other other species. It, it, it may not be as prized to some individuals as, as uh, the big greenhead, but uh, they do provide opportunity uh, to get out and, and, uh, and chase ducks. And, and that's, that's an important thing. Yep. And that's a good point to make there as well. Let's see, Pat. Uh, one other thing that I want to talk with you about is something that, that continues to be on the mind of a lot of American hunters. I think uh, I think we're late enough in the game now that most people have already adjusted their plans. But I, I'm talking about the border closure in response to you know COVID-19. And uh, we're here August 24th recording this. And as of today, the border is closed through September 21st. It's closed to non-essential travel through September 21st. And I'm not sure if there's anyone that's expecting it to be open um, fairly soon thereafter to uh, to non-essential travel. So this is one of those situations where uh, I'm going to guess you probably never figured you would see these days again where you had very few non-residents on the prairie landscape uh, chasing waterfowl. Are you are you a bit, what are your what are your feelings about this? I have to imagine there's some mixed emotions. On one hand, you're probably a bit excited because there's not going to be nearly as much competition as there has been uh, in years past. But on the other, I, I know you being a hunter the way you do, you enjoy sharing the resource and you like to see other people enjoy this. So what's the range of emotions that you're feeling with regard to this closure? Oh, you had it right on. It, it's pretty mixed. I mean, I've, I've, I've lots of friends from the, from the U.S. usually come up and join me for a few days in the, in the fall and end up chasing ducks for for four to, ducks and geese for you know somewhere between four and six weeks in the fall and uh this year uh unfortunately just had to cancel the last optimistic group that was holding out uh, for that uh that september border opening to happen i don't see it happening this fall and the other thing we've got going is even if the border does open we've got a four mandatory 14 day quarantine for anybody coming in or into the country. Even myself, if I went to the U.S. right now and I can fly to the U.S., when I come back, I've got a quarantine for 14 days and pretty stiff penalties if you if you violate that, up to $750,000. They're not fooling around with that, that quarantine. So unfortunately, got to say the border is likely closed for the full fall here. Uh, and uh, you know, that's that's going to be very, very different. Uh, you know, they're, they're, uh, 
uh, non-resident hunters in, in Saskatchewan have outnumbered by, by far resident hunters for the last 15 years. So there's going to be a heck of a lot less hunting pressure in, in Canada this fall, than particularly on the prairies, than, than you'd normally see. It'll be interesting, you know, there'll be more birds uh, likely make it south, but there's also going to be less disturbance up here. So it's going to be a, an interesting year. Those mer- birds may stay on a bit longer in Canada than, than they have in the past. Having said that, we're not going to hold birds much past mid to late October here because we do freeze up totally by by uh, first week in November. So, But there may be a bit of a delayed migration in some of those species, uh, in, particularly in the northern states, uh, because of lack of disturbance in in uh, in the season up till uh, up till freeze up, which, as I say, would be somewhere around the end of October, first part of November. So, Pat, your experience would tell you that you think there there is a possibility that the lack of of hunting and disturbance from non resident um, non resident visitors um, might influence bird behavior and encourage them to stick around a bit longer. You know, I've certainly seen. Uh, I've been hunting Saskatchewan for. 35 years now, I hate to admit the, the time, but hey, you know, in the early years, there was very few uh, hunters uh, in, in the area that I hunt, hunted the same area. That number's grown and grown, and I found that, uh, particularly with snow geese, which I, which I chase a fair amount, those birds are being uh, hit very quickly when they land uh, in, the, in the fields, you know, so you get a concentration of two, 3,000 birds, people are on them. In, in a day or two, whereas 10, 15, 20 years ago, those birds would be around and, and not disturbed till they grew into a huntable size flock, in my opinion, somewhere around 10 to 15,000 birds. And you just don't see that anymore. Those birds are being constantly chased. Uh, so they get into the flock of 2,000. A few days later, is a, you know, into a flock of 10,000 into a flock of 50,000 into a flock of 250,000 become very, very difficult to hunt. So without that kind of disturbance chasing those birds around, it's going to be very interesting to see what happens this fall. I predict you're going to, you're going to see more smaller flocks across the prairies that aren't, uh, that aren't, uh, disturbed and, and likely stay there into the fall a little longer than, uh, than, than past years. Interesting, some of the news reports on, on forecasts for non-resident hunters in, in North Dakota because of the the, the, uh, the closure of the border. You know, people are expecting that there'll be more hunters that would have come to Saskatchewan, Alberta, Manitoba, hunt in in, uh, in North Dakota. That'll be another interesting situation to watch. Uh, it's uh, it's a different year, and uh, you know people like to like to travel to hunt. They like come come to the, the prairies of Canada. Those that are heart set on on coming somewhere are probably going to go to other states, and uh, it could be a very different year in terms of hunting pressure across the board. Yeah, and of course the the tendency whenever we talk about waterfowl distribution, the timing and space, and where are the birds, and all those types of things, we. We instinctively, you know, try to focus on one factor. Well, what's going to be the effect of this reduced disturbance, and what are we going to see in regard to that? But there, nothing is really, you know, single factor when it comes to what's influencing these birds. You spoke earlier about the how the grain harvest is proceeding as normal in contrast to last year when it was later, and therefore so there wasn't as much grain for the birds to take advantage of uh, early on uh, in in the fall. And but that's so you've got two things going on this year. It sounds like the harvest is is on track, and there's going to be ample grain out there, and there's also going to be less disturbance as a result of the smaller number of non-resident hunters. So those things combined may be, uh, may indeed have some influence on, on the 
rate and and uh, timing of bird departure from Canada. But all of that could go out the window if we get a series of strong, really strong cold fronts early in the fall. That's something that I'm sure you're hoping we don't get. But uh, but then again, <laughs> you add in the the additional factor that you mentioned about a projection for a larger than than normal uh, hunter base in North Dakota this year. What are those b- birds going to do when they fly south out of the prairies into North Dakota and encounter a level of disturbance and pressure that they ordinarily do not? So a number of things are going on, and, and the truth of the matter is none of us are going to be able to predict perfectly what's going to happen. And um, again, that's, you got to be out there to try to figure out how you can best take advantage of the opportunities that 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 you have before you. Well, I agree. I mean, the big wild card for us up here is, is, is freeze up. I mean, I've seen it as early as October 6th. The prairies have been virtually totally frozen and the birds have moved out, you know, couldn't find a bird up here after the 10th of October. Normally that's not the case. You usually have open water and birds around till about the 1st of November. I've seen it where it's gone as late as, as uh, November 20th. We've, we've had good concentration to birds in open water. So that's a, that's a, that's probably the biggest wild guard or driving factor in, in, in the migration out of Prairie Canada is, is, is freeze up. But certainly hunter, hunter, uh, hunter effort and, uh, and, uh, food availability are the other factors, as you mentioned. And those, I think we've got a pretty good handle on what's going to happen. Uh, it's going to be lots of food around and, and not many hunters, but it's that wild card of weather that, uh, that we can control that'll really determine when the birds come and go from here and if there's any if there are any hunters out there thinking that that maybe uh, you know or wondering how canada is going to be able to track individuals uh, in this 14-day quarantine phase if there's anybody out there thinking that oh they're not possibly going to be able to track us all i might rethink that based on some of the things that i've seen on facebook and how and how serious as you said pat uh the the, the canadian officials are in terms of of actually tracking and checking to make sure that you are where you say you're going to be during that quarantine phase. They're not going to just rely on your on your good word to, to go into quarantine, are they? No, and unfortunately, being out in a goose blind somewhere doesn't count as part of your quarantine. You've got to that's, be in, 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 <laughs> right. in, a, in a house. There's one case that just hit the news this week up here of a, of a, a individual from Kentucky that was uh, – Apparently going to Alaska, ability to drive through Canada to go to Alaska, but you have to make that trip from the Canadian border to Alaska within a fixed amount of time. And they monitor, they do monitor you. This guy was found in Banff National Park hiking and he's looking at potentially a $750,000 fine. So, I mean, it, it, I, I've had some people, you know, as you do, uh, as people do speculate, well, what happens if we just come up and can we just, no, don't, don't even think about it is, is the answer. It's not, not worth the risk. Unfortunately, I, 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 I really don't like that situation at all. The, the board is closed. My wife is actually an American. I, she's headed down to Louisiana next week and, uh, and I'm not able to go with her because of the border closure. Uh, can't drive. I can fly down later. So, you know, it's problematic. Absolutely. It's something I never expected to see. And certainly back in March, I never would have expected it to last this long, but here we are. And, no sign of that opening anytime soon. Yeah. Now you said a seven hundred and fifty-two thousand or to a thousand dollar fine, not seven hundred and fifty thousand dollar fine. There, it kind of sounded like it was seven hundred fifty thousand. No, 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 no. 
$750,000 fine over a million dollars oh if goodness. they can prove that uh, you have infected someone else with COVID. Oh my goodness. Wow. No, no, you can, you can Google that. Uh, it, it, that that's, I did not realize that, Pat. That's no, not 700 to, you know, it, it's not $700, $750,000 is the, is the upper end of that fine. Most of the fines that I've heard are, are in that thousand to $2,000 range, people just making mistakes. But there is this one individual who had a set, path that he was supposed to take and he varied from it and, and, and that that's 700 three quarters of a million dollars to be clear yeah wow yeah so you certainly don't want to be fooling around with that thanks for clarifying that um all right well that's probably going to wrap it up here for us pat you, that's been this has been great to hear about on the ground update from what you saw in mid-august and now what you're seeing here in in late august and it, it sounds like uh, it sounds like we've got a, a decent year. Uh, it sounds like yep. there are going there's some good opportunities that we're going to have. It may not be, probably will not be, you know, all across the board the best year we've ever ever had. You know, the one thing, Pat, I have found that I am good at predicting every single year. I'm good at predicting that somebody's going to say when it's all said and done, somebody's going to say we had the best year we've ever had, and then somebody else is going to say we had the worst year we've ever had. If there's anything that you can almost guarantee, it's that. Now, where you fall as an individual hunter on that spectrum, that's kind of left up to a number of factors that we do not really understand. Absolutely agreed. If you want to check back with me towards the end of September, I plan on being over in Saskatchewan. I can let you know what's going to, what I see at that point. Uh, But, uh, but other than that, that's, that's the the story as I've seen it across Prairie Canada this year. And uh, as you say, it's going to, it's going to depend on where you're at, how your success uh, varies this fall. And hopefully people are in the right spot at the right time. Thank you so much for joining us, Pat. And we will take you up on that offer. We'll reconnect with you later in the month, uh, later in September, and see how your season's going, see what you are seeing in terms of bird numbers and bird movements. And uh, we'll catch up with you then. Thanks so much, Pat. Sounds great. Thank you. A special thanks to our guest on today's show, Pat Kehoe, Director of International Partnerships for Ducks Unlimited Canada. He has spent many, many years across uh, across all of Canada chasing ducks and geese, and he provided us some valuable insights this year uh, with how things are starting to unfold here in late summer and fall. Uh, we And we look forward to catching up with him again later this year. As always, we thank our producer, Clay Baird, for the great work he does in editing these podcasts and getting them hosted out to you, our listeners. And of course, to you, our, listen- our listeners, we thank you for your support, passion, and commitment to wetlands and waterfowl conservation. Thank you for listening to this episode of the DU Podcast. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show and visit www.ducks.org slash DU Podcast for resources based on today's topics, as well as access to more episodes. Opinions expressed by guests do not necessarily reflect those of Ducks Unlimited. Until next time, stay tuned to the Ducks. You and your dog are a team. Fuel is best in the field and in life with Purina Pro Plan Sport. Made for hardworking dogs of all ages, every sport formula starts with real meat as the number one ingredient and is specifically formulated to support strength and stamina. Try it today and see why Pro Plan is the official dog food of Ducks Unlimited. Learn more at ProPlanSport.com.